0: A gloomy and stormy start to our week with a Colorado low making its way into Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario. Brought thunderstorms and rain to Winnipeg, but some parts of Manitoba could see 40 centimeters of snow. We're into the home stretch for the civic election, so we spoke to mayoral candidates once again today. We spoke to Kevin Klein and Sean Loney, and other hosts will be speaking with the other main candidates throughout the day. But we're asking them today look, you've made a whole bunch of promises. How are you going to pay for them? Speaking of paying for stuff, Netflix is clamping down on password sharing. They're going to start charging you to share your password. So we had some fun talking about ways that we have either done this on purpose or just accidentally cheated the system. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Monday, October 24th podcast for the start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thanks for joining us this Monday morning on The Start. Nothing like a 2.15 a.m. thunderstorm-induced heart attack to start the week. I was kind of, I woke up at like 1 o'clock this morning and just dozed the rest of the way. But I was right around 2.15, and uh, this wasn't the actual b- thunder blast,
1: but this is pretty much exactly what it sounded like. <laughs> you really got it. You're end of the city. I heard it. I heard thunder about 1:45. I woke up and I thought, is that thunder? And I was, yeah, I'm pretty sure because I could hear the rain going. And of course, that's sort of unusual for this late in October. Yeah, doesn't mean we don't get thunder in December and January. That happens sometimes. We get thunder snow, but I didn't know this was in the forecast by any stretch. And then you confirmed things this morning that you basically. You know, got thrown out of your bed. Yeah, by but, a clap of thunder. And that's why that
2: it sounded me like guard. that. That sort that thunder sounds like something from like a movie or when an Inspector Gadget they'd cut to the bad guy. Maybe <laughs> like a thunder crash. Maybe <laughs> yeah. petting his cat.
0: That's probably where I got that sound effect. <laughs> I don't know where I found it, but what, that's actually one of the first things I thought was, like, "Oh, they're not well." Since I'm wide awake now. I, I think I have a, a thunder sound effect that sounds just like what I just heard because uh, it was so loud. And uh, there were then it once I calmed down again, then there was another blast. I think we only had four or five big ones uh, in my neck of the woods. But what was it like for you south of the city, Lorraine?
2: It was pretty close. I would say a little bit later than you said, two forty five,
0: two fifty. It was on two fifteen for the first I wanna one. I want to say ours
2: was two forty five. Sorry, we're just a little bit around there because I remember thinking it's time to get up anyway. And then I was like, wait a minute, is it? and then you get mad and you're like annoyed that you had that happen and i was quite surprised that the whole house didn't react because it was so loud but um i'm just happy we're not getting what our neighbors to the west are getting right now because i i said to you guys yesterday are we sure are we sure There's no massive snowstorm coming our way. And I don't know. I still don't know the answer. I feel like there should be.
1: Brittany Greenslade doing weather on Global News Morning this morning just had up the graphic that there is snowfall warnings in effect for parts of western Manitoba and into the north for sure. And loyal listener Dawn is in Saskatchewan where they really got the heart of this snow. They had snow in Calgary, but it actually shut down the highways in parts of Saskatchewan yesterday. He's in Belgone, Saskatchewan trying to get back this direction. And he said things changed almost instantaneously. Got here two o'clock yesterday afternoon. It was bizarre. Roads went from awesome to a skating rink in about a quarter of a mile. Really? So, I've seen those storms come across the prairies before, southern Alberta in particular. You get the Chinooks that bring in the unseasonably warm weather, although out there it's not unseasonable, it would be for us. But also, you get the exact opposite where you get these snowstorms and precipitation events that come over the Rocky Mountains and you can see them coming for miles. It's very eerie, it's very odd. I've been in a situation where it's nine degrees in Medicine Hat, Alberta, and it's minus 30 in Calgary. That's about a three and a half hour drive. Wow. And have driven through that change of weather, and it's it's unreal. That is interesting. So we're going to get more from Environment
0: Canada in our next segment to just talk a little bit about this storm because this is a pretty huge system. Like, it's stretching from Saskatchewan way down into Ontario. And uh, so far, just thunderstorms in Winnipeg. But uh, is it going to get any worse? And conversely, the week this upcoming weekend looks pretty good. Did you well, you f-
2: said it's golf weather again. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. Or you're
2: hoping it's golf weather. I don't want to have jinxed it for you.
0: No, no, because uh, I was at Kingswood yesterday in LaSalle, and they said they might. They might. They're they're thinking about uh, wow. being open for next weekend. So, What's the
2: latest you've golfed before? Because that puts you right at the last weekend of f- October if they're able to open.
0: I think there was one year where we got around in the second week of November. Oh, oh. word. That's the latest. Well, it was done. not a pleasant day. It was five degrees. <laughs> It was cloudy. I think really it had rained. It. Yeah. You did it
1: because you could. You did not it because could. you wanted to.
0: Yeah, my it was damp, so my feet were frozen, and I remember thinking, "What am I doing here? Like, what am I doing here?"
1: <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> You're miserable. here because you want, to, at one point, tell your grandchildren. Well.
0: <laughs> Theoretically, yeah. that
1: you golfed once upon a time in the middle of November in the middle of the prairies. That's what.
0: So more on the weather in our next segment as well. We just wanted to touch on this here because Mackling, you had uh, well, we both, and I'm sure Loren, you're probably having these conversations as well. People asking, who are you going to vote for? Because I don't know, and I, I personally, I can't speak for either of you, but I still don't know who I'm voting
1: for no, on I don't know who I'm voting for on Wednesday either. I'm battering around a whole bunch of things, but what I couldn't believe was over the weekend, Friday in particular, I was at several different places, and everybody wanted to ask, who are you voting for? Why are you voting? I, I can't help you. I don't know. Oh, you're just saying that because of what you do for a living. No, sincerely, I do not know. And there are some suggestions from very uh, smart people that this race is still wide open, Loren.
2: Well, that was the question that was asked of me. More as who I thought was going to win. I mean, where I'm, where I live, I don't even get to vote for mayor. He's been acclaim, acclaimed in my community, but there's a couple councilors I can vote for. But for Winnipeg, I think there's a there's no clear front runner anymore that's not to say the person who was in the lead in the polls two months ago isn't still in the lead i just don't think it's as obvious and so things could get interesting in 48 hours time and one of the big questions we're going to ask today and it's maybe the question is that a lot of promises get made right in the lead up to election day every candidate has a long list of things they say they're going to do how are they going to pay for it and what hit are you the taxpayer maybe going to take you know will your property taxes go up will they stay the same will there be a business tax increase what kind of dollars and cents will you be shelling out to to help pay for some of these promises and at the at the end of the day we still just need the very basic of services that we struggle to pay for every year too so the big question we're going to have for mayoral candidates throughout the day is okay you've said a lot show me the money
0: Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, here's another M, Macaulay, Kyle McCauley from Environment Canada joins us now to talk about this Colorado low, and uh, we'll get into what we're seeing out further west in Saskatchewan in a moment, Kyle, but uh, what are we seeing in Manitoba? Because in Winnipeg it's rain, but in other parts there are snowfall and winter storm warnings, yes?
3: Yes, that's right, yeah, that's the Colorado low moving up from the United States. It's uh, currently currently uh where it's right now it's currently just moving into the canadian, over into the canadian border just just to the south of the you know, the international border And uh, yeah as you might have heard it brought some uh, thunder th- thunderstorms and a pretty steady band of uh, rain overnight what at it, winnipeg around 1 a.m
2: what are we talking about kyle in terms of what's falling for rain before we ask the big snow question here but what what came for rain uh it was about 20 millimeters
3: it seems pretty uniform in the city uh 21 at the um, at the forks and 20, 20 at the airport and in my house in the south end. I also got around 20 millimeters.
1: So could we see another 10, 15 millimeters of rain? Or uh, what do we anticipate happening over the next several hours here, Scott?
3: Yeah, so our forecast has 10 to 15 for today. Uh, some of that's happening right now. And it looks like the heavy stuff is uh, just about to pull out of the city in the next hour or so. And there may be some more uh, on and off showers throughout the rest of the day.
0: So, what parts of Manitoba could see some more wintry weather out of this uh, storm system?
3: Yeah, that's right. Well, even us uh, later on today, as our temperatures drop, um, there's a, a chance of some snow into the into the evening hours as um, as the cold air wraps around the system and pulls some some cold air into uh, the Red River Red River Valley. And yeah, for those to the north, it's going to be um, a bit more snow than it is rain. Uh, closing into central and northern Man- and Manitoba, and as well uh, to our folks out west in Saskatchewan, they had a pretty good dumping yesterday and overnight. Yeah, I was watching,
2: sorry sorry, didn't interrupt, sorry. I was watching okay. pictures and stuff on Twitter and I thought, please don't let that come here, and on the other hand, I'm not happy to hear a thunderstorm at two in the morning either, so how unusual is this sort of event at this time of year? Is it fairly normal and we just want to pretend that it's not?
3: Uh, I think it's pretty uncommon. Like uh, I don't remember too many thunderstorms, especially late October. Like uh, maybe September, early October, does happen once in a while. But for the yeah, this much this much lightning, it was um, it was pretty pretty continuous band of lightning from uh, west to east Manitoba.
1: Okay, so the next couple of days unsettled, two degrees, three degrees, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then looks like we might warm up again.
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we have some cooler days around zero degrees. Our high doesn't get too much higher than that in the mid, like low single digits. But yeah, looking to Thursday and then continues into the weekend, we are going to be in those uh, double digits again, and some pretty clear, clear pretty clear skies, some um, pretty dry conditions also. And so, yeah, enjoy it when we can before that winter comes. It's around the corner.
0: Yeah. Kyle McCauley, Environment Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it.
3: Anytime. Take care.
0: Right now, I want to talk about a man living in Waverly Heights. He says the city of Winnipeg took too long to fix the sidewalk, he reported to 311 back in August and then again in
1: September. We first brought you this story on Friday, and as Global's Rosanna Hempel explains, just hours after John Waldman spoke to us, repairs months in the making were underway.
4: John Waldman first noticed something wrong with the sidewalk in front of his house on Chancellor Drive in August.
5: It's a pretty decent size gap, it's about a one to two inches.
4: Waldman reached the city's 311 line through Twitter. He was told Public Works would inspect the damage and repair it based on priority and available resources. But nearly six weeks later...
5: I came home from work one day and there was a gentleman uh, older, probably in his 70s, uh, who was face down on the sidewalk uh, with a major cut on his, on his uh, head.
4: He says the man had tripped on the ledge and was bleeding badly. Waldman contacted 311 again and says this time the city came back and placed a pylon. On Friday, Waldman voiced his concerns through 680 CJOB and then within hours city crews arrived to finally fix the sidewalk.
5: I was glad that, that when I did contact 311 that they were responsive using Twitter but it was still frustrating that it took so long for action to happen. A
4: city spokesperson tells Global News that non-hazardous sidewalks should be fixed within a year and hazardous ones within two business days. They say the condition of the sidewalk had improved on its own due to cooler temperatures since Waldman had first reported it. But the city later conceded the repair was not completed as quickly as it should have been. This was an error that has been addressed with staff. Waldman finds the whole situation disappointing.
5: We're in some ways a very broken city.
4: And he wants mayoral and council candidates to pay attention.
5: These are the pieces that matter the most to us, is that you know? it's great to have the ambitious projects, but we have to be concentrating on what's going to get us to a better situation as fast and as uh, expediently as possible.
4: Rosanna Hempel, Global News. Vision for the
2: future, ambitious projects are important, but you have to maintain what you have. And so if if you head to cjob.com, you can see the sidewalk in question here. And at face value, if you were to look at those photos, the, the lip left by the sidewalk heaving that one to two inch gap, might, you might have assessed it the way the city first did saying, okay, it should be fixed, not hazardous. But then someone was hurt. As Waldman pointed out, hurt, tripped, smashed their head, bleeding, and he contacted 311 again to say, "Hey, someone has been injured here." And the answer was a pylon. And so only after, not just when he went on air to us, but we reached out to the city just after 8:30 on Friday, and at 10:40, I get a phone call from John, and he will—he says, "You will not believe who is in my front yard right now at, on the sidewalk, or uh, you know, on the on the boulevard." And I said, "Tell me it's not city workers." Yep they're putting up they're putting up fences they're getting it sounds like they're going to do repairs it sounds like within 2 business days so i've reached out to john again to see where things are at but in their own words they say if it's deemed hazardous it should be fixed as quickly as possible within 2 days someone got hurt there but it wasn't until we reached out that john went to us to talk that there was action here and i it's not disappointing i think that's just ridiculous and beyond frustrating brett
0: yeah, and you know what? I mean, look, I just—I had a situation on Friday. I—I I tripped and fell on a on the grass and bashed my shoulder, and it hurt. It's been a long time since I've fallen down. I'm forty-five years old. I'm not uh, a young man anymore. When I was twenty or fifteen or twenty, I might fall down and bounce back up, and no problem. But uh, to fall on to trip and fall on concrete like that—that's no joke. And to for the fact that it took so long, that it took CJOB to talk about it to to, to make something happen, is it has to be very
1: frustrating for those who have to live, walk by that every day. We're happy to help out, but it shouldn't come to that. If somebody goes out and deems this ha- hazardous enough to put up a an orange cone, an orange pylon to warn people of the presence of this heave sidewalk. That should be enough indication that it needs to be fixed immediately. But I'm also looking at, and I think you've seen it, Brett and Loren, perhaps you've seen it as well, email from a listener who says, I've had this sunken sidewalk on Spence Street for six plus years. Every time I call three one one, I get the runaround. Uh, every time you report something to 311, they want Something about the previous report, they say no record exists. He saved the last email response because he's been waiting six years for the city to fix this sunken sidewalk. So uh, maybe that's our our next ordeal, our next uh, sidewalk Mission champion. If we
2: choose to accept it, we'll accept that mission.
0: (laughs) Netflix.
1: Smackling, they're clamping down. They've been threatening for years. They have been threatening for years to clamp down on you sharing your passwords, and now they're saying that they're going to charge you to do so? and uh, get in the way of you sharing your passwords. I know that there are people who share their passwords, amongst family. I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody who works here. Uh, and, and devices that aren't necessarily and don't necessarily live in the same household. So there's lots of people who do use, I use Netflix on probably four or five, if not more devices in our house. And so that's going to be really frustrating. I don't know how they're going to figure that out. Mm. in terms of, you know, location of these devices. Is there going to be a geolocator or what have you? Uh, but uh, lots of people say, now oh, that's sort of the last straw with uh, Netflix. So if you're going to do that, then uh, maybe maybe I'm out. Mm. So here's what we want
0: from you. Have you ever done something like this? You know, you by sharing the password, you're essentially cheating the system or you could say beating the system. So what's a way that you beat this system, whether you meant to or not. Like, sometimes you just kind of luck into it, right? 204-780-6868 for a chance to win those bomber tickets. We shall pick a winner just after 9.15. And Forte, you and your your family were just talking about this Netflix situation last night, weren't you?
2: Yes. Uh, me and my family, my brother lives in Montreal. He was in town for the weekend, and uh, so we are having dinner last night. Mom's like, okay, so, Netflix. They're going to be charging for sharing the passwords. It's like, do we really need it? Do you guys use it? Me and my brother like, Yeah, we use it, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep it. And uh, you know, my brother said, "Like, we'll pay you the money. You know, we'll divide it up and pay you the money." Mom said, "No, no, no, problem. We'll keep the Netflix." But uh, like, what? Like, it's I don't know. Netflix just it's uh, it's really useful for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I get it. I know a lot of people who who do that password sharing thing, and uh, I just kind of figure, figure like. It's If you want to have it, pay for it. <laughs> not
2: that the point? I thought the point was you get four screens. If, or if you say you're paying for it, that that's what... Like, I thought that was the whole idea.
1: Yeah, so they're saying that they are going to crack down on per home. So I'm just uh, rereading the CBS story here. Netflix will start rolling out these features more broadly in 2023. And you can add up to two extra homes. And premium plans can add up to three extra homes. So I guess they can determine whether or not you're inside one dwelling. And so different devices. It looks as though you'll be able to do it within your house. But outside, if uh, you know, if your cousin lives in Salmon Arm, B.C. and you're sharing the <laughs> password with specific. them, that's going to be a little bit different. Why Salmon Arm? <laughs> oh, Salmon Arm's is just one of the places in my past. I have cousins in Savannah. Okay. All right. <laughs> but I'm not sharing passwords with them. <laughs> Do we know how much they're going to be charging for? I think I think it's 299 here. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, the streaming platform has already rolled out this model in Argentina, Dominican Republic, Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. Customers in those countries pay an extra two ninety nine per month to additional homes to their account. Netflix did not specify the cost would be the same for the United States.
0: Really
2: going after Central America there? What's that about?
1: <laughs> it's maybe
0: a te- it's like a testing ground for them. I don't know, but yeah, two ninety nine is not. It's not that big of a deal. But Poitras, you ever cheat the system? It
2: is when there's like six different streaming services that you're paying for. Sorry, go ahead, Poitras. Cheat away. What happened? Well, like, I mean, like, it's like,
6: it's kind of the thing with like my family. Like, I'll, they'll give me Netflix. I'll give them Disney Plus. My mom gives me Discovery. I give her Prime. It's kind right. of like we all kind of share um, the sort of the streaming service. I, I hate this. I mean, I absolutely hate it. It's I pay for the service. I should be able to do what I want with it. But like in terms of cheating the system, I know Brett's. You know he wants to talk about about cheating the systems and stuff <laughs> like that. I, I can see you, Brett. I'm, I'm not there, but I can see you. In terms of like in terms of like parking, like I don't like to pay for parking. So like, of course, this wasn't available for um, for me when I was like working. You know, in the I was having to go downtown in mornings and all that sort of thing. So I, I couldn't walk in. But now if if I don't have to pay for parking. I don't care if it's 250, 350, 250, whatever. I'd rather just walk 20 minutes or walk 15 minutes or something like that. So like I park in St. B, and when now that I'm back in the office to do the Jets at Noon show, I'll I'll happily walk that little bit and and, and take that extra time.
0: That's good. That's a good one. Yeah. Cheating yeah. the you don't want to pay for parking? I'll just walk. Yeah. Yeah. Not too Use bad. Not too bad. What about you, Mackling?
1: Back before there was Ticketmaster, you had to go and purchase the tickets in person, whether it be at the Bay, Eaton's, right at the arena. And I went to buy two tickets for, I think it was Streetheart and somebody else. And I can't remember exactly who it was, but I was on my way home. I opened the envelope and I got three tickets instead of two. Oh. And right on the envelope, it says, basically, you have to check your envelope. You're supposed to check your envelope before you leave the premise, basically in front of them. So they're basically telling you, if you asked for five and paid for five and only got four, you're out of luck. Well, I paid for two and got three. So I was very much in luck. <laughs> and so I pondered, should I go back? Should I return? Should I let them know? And based on their own policy, I thought, no, you know what? If I had paid for five and only got four, you would be telling me, too bad, so sad. So I went with the too bad, so sad. And the concert was actually canceled, so I got my money back for three tickets. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Provincial Enforcement Personnel cleared a protest camp on the East Lawn of the Manitoba Legislative Grounds on Saturday. The encampment was removed as the province says they are not lawful or safe on the grounds of the legislature and there had been significant security concerns over the past few months. Quote, our government strongly supports the right to legal protests. The Manitoba legislature should always be a place to express democratic options. That from Justice Minister Kelvin Gertzen in a statement which goes on to say however, these must be done in a way that protects the safety of all those who come to the legislature including school children tours staff
1: elected officials dignitaries and protesters So the East Camp was the last camp that remained at the legislature and the grounds are now clear Quote, I would like to thank the members of the legislature security team, central services and conservation officers who participated in today's or Saturday's operation. This from Minister Gertz's statement, their professionalism over the last many months has been commendable. Our government is grateful for their continued dedication to public safety and the work that they do every day.
2: But we're talking this morning about this in part because the question of protests and whose job is it to monitor them and clear them when necessary. How was that decision made? Because back on October 4th, security officers cleared a protest camp on the north lawn of the building with the help of Winnipeg police. And the decision to dismantle that camp was made by both the city and province due to what they called, quote, aggressive behavior from some of the people in the camp, along with escalating threats. And so the next day, Premier Heather Stephenson was on the start and was asked about the status of the camp on the east side of the legislature and whether or not the province, like who was going to make a move to dismantle it. We make the, the laws and the police enforce those laws. So we'll leave that up to <coughs> excuse me, the police officers to, uh, you know, as to what they're going to do with it. Uh, but you know, the number one priority for me is safety. There are people coming in, there's schools coming in, um, children coming in and out of the legislature. I want to ensure that they're safe coming in and out of the legislature. I also want to ensure that it's safe for those who are working uh, in the legislature. So um, that is, again, our our number one priority.
0: But so in the meantime, you're saying that uh, until the police decide to act on that camp, that it's, it's going to be there indefinitely?
2: Well, again, we make the laws and the police enforce the laws.
1: So Saturday's operation, Loren, was done without the help of Winnipeg police. Quote from Constable Jay Murray: The Winnipeg Police Service did not have any officers present at the encampment on the Manitoba Legislative Grounds on Saturday and were not involved in the removal of any occupants or items.
2: It's just it's fascinating because we're just trying to figure out. Well, then, if if the province sets the laws and the police are there to enforce it when who decides when that happens and then who gets involved so the it was the legislative security team the legislature security team and conservation officers who cleared things up at the east side back in the north encampment it was winnipeg police and again this kind of gets back to the protests we saw earlier this year and all the questions around the laws whose responsibility it is to enforce it and when do you decide to move in and so we've got just two different stories here that i think require a couple more questions (laughs)
0: We're asking you about times that you've managed to game the system Um, because we're talking about this Netflix situation. They're getting ready to clamp down on password sharing and charge you if you want to share your passwords. And some people are really good at sort of manipulating the system to their advantage, finding loopholes and whatnot. We've heard from some people who are just outright stealing. <laughs> Greg looked at one text and said, yeah, that's called stealing.
1: Can't read
2: that one. <laughs>
0: we have a cheater
1: box. It's right there, right in the title, right in the <laughs> Um,
0: But, uh, you know, maybe you managed to game the system without even knowing it. Like Greg, when he talked about how he got an extra concert ticket that he didn't ask for. And Loren, we just didn't have time to get to you at 6.56. Uh, was there something on your mind on this front?
2: Well, this isn't like a concert example, so you're going to laugh at this one. But back in 2009, my whole family came over to Jerusalem to, like, my mom and dad and my siblings and their partners. Uh, came to visit us after we had just got married, and we're living in Israel. And it's Christmas Eve, and I said we're going to go to Bethlehem for Christmas Eve. My mom and my aunt are there, and and they're uh, grew up Catholic, and so it was a big deal to be in Bethlehem Christmas Eve. So we go there. We have some hot chocolate. There's corn on the cob. There's snacks. You're in the square where Jesus, you know, was pr- presumed to have been born. And there's this big church service a midnight mass that has like the Palestinian president. And I'm standing there, and I wore my press pass just so that I, just in case. And all of a sudden this guy's like, are you in line for the mass? And people lined up for hours ahead of time, like had tickets to get into the church. And I just went, um, yes. And then he goes, how many? And I was like, 12. Uh, He's like, come on in. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know why this is happening. My mom and my aunt are so excited, but they're like mid corn on the cob. And I'm like, put the corn down. So they both slip their corn into their pockets, like their winter coat pocket. And we cruise <laughs> on. we cruise on into this church with drinks and snacks and just sat in the back. And it turned out it was just the funniest thing because you just landed in the right spot. And they always talk about, oh oh so great of you to get us in like that how did you do that and i was like i just stood there and the guy asked and then you felt terrible because all these people and it's like lying about church you know like it just all felt wrong and i feel like i had to make a call of that right now <laughs> just a church service but that it was cheating you know but not
0: hey sometimes there are perks that come with a job
2: right plus the corn and the cob lasted a couple hours and we had snacks after <laughs>
0: A lot of promises have been made in the lead up to Wednesday's civic election with just days to go. The question we're asking mayoral candidates this morning, how are you going to pay for those promises?
2: At 8.37, we're going to speak to Sean Loney, but right now we want to say hello to Kevin Klein. Good morning.
7: Good morning. How are you?
2: I'm well, thank you. Let's start with property taxes is the question that I think most people can relate to. That's what hits your bottom line. Will you freeze them, continue with some sort of annual hike as we've seen in the past year or go even higher, Kevin?
7: Well, you know, we've talked about this throughout the uh, the entire campaign, and, and my message hasn't changed for this year because the uh, four-year budget was set. As as much as I don't like the four-year budget, it, it is in place, so the two point three percent tax increase will remain uh, as it has for the last, <coughs> pardon me, for the last four years. But that will that is because I cannot go in to office and change a $1.5 billion budget within 90 days. It just wouldn't be reasonable. But we are going to start right away with a zero-based balance budget review and determine where every dollar is going. We're going to trace every dollar, and we're going to figure out whether we have a revenue problem or a spending problem. And I believe we have a spending problem.
1: Is that your is that your problem with the four year? And it's uh, Greg Mackling, by the way, Kevin. Uh, yes. Is that your problem with the four year budget? Is the fact that it, it it's based on what's been spent in the past versus what maybe needs to be spent uh, in different departments?
7: Yeah, well, the four year budget really became a bit of a shell game. They were able to move expenses, and they were able to move. Uh, you know, drain out some reserve funds and try to pay it back before their four-year time was up. But by law, they had to ratify the budget every year. I look at it this way, Greg, never before, and this is fact, never before in the history have we paid so much money uh, and so much money has been spent at City Hall to deliver such poor service to residents. Never before in history have we paid this much. And that needs to be looked into. We need to bring in a different culture. We need to start looking at some lean projects. We need to start looking at cost savings. We need to look at cost control. There's many things that we haven't done at City Hall. In fact, they haven't done a zero-based budget review in over 25 years.
2: Doesn't it make sense, though, Kevin, that you'd have to have more money spent every year with a growing population? I mean, it would, it, it's, it's just a line to say we're paying more. Of course we're paying more. We've got more people, more services, No.
7: Stats Canada said our population dropped last time, uh, last year. That in fact, uh, Niverville, West St. Paul are two of the fastest growing communities in Canada. So we talk about maybe units that have gone up in in build. We've certainly seen those go up. But let's remember, every candidate who's making promises with a tax increase is doing so and taking that money to put towards their promise, whether it be roads, infrastructure of some sort. The money is always going to come in through your mill rate. So the assessment of your property, you notice, has gone up. We've got some candidates that want to increase your frontage fee. That gets used just for roads. We haven't even looked at saving money in the operations, and we spend over $800 a year on operations. The City of Calgary is doing a zero-based budget review, and they've already saved over $100 million on regular operations. There's money inside. We have to determine where it's being spent, And we have to trace every one of those dollars because, again, I'll say it because it's very important. Never in our history has so much taxpayer money been spent to deliver such poor service to residents.
0: You've campaigned heavily on tackling crime. Is that going to mean more money for police? Because, I mean, the police already accounts for a huge chunk of uh, the city's budget.
7: Well, the city police accounts for about 27 percent of the city's budget. Um, The police in Thompson account for about 27 percent of their budget and so on and so on it's fairly common but what i will do is i'll make sure that the money that is going to public safety remains with public safety with city of winnipeg when i'm mayor will stop taking money that is meant for public safety and taking it back to accommodations 10 million dollars a year for rent that comes off the police service so that cuts down the number of resources and opportunities the police have to protect you. We pay them for our cars, a service fee for gas, a service fee for, for cars. So all of that has to come into, a, into play. And we have to eliminate those secondary unnecessary charges, those shell games, if you will, in a budget, and allow those millions of dollars to be used for public safety.
1: So if I'm listening to you, uh, I just want to be clear, Kevin.
7: I hope you are.
1: I'm listening closely. I want to make sure I'm clear here. So in an ideal world, uh, the different line items that come out of the police budget that don't necessarily go towards policing, you'd like to see them moved more directly into the police budget. Help me there.
7: Yes. Yeah, so there's line items that come out that are fairly different. So if you're giving if you're going to claim that, you, you know, uh, the police take the most of our money, then then you shouldn't be. And most other jurisdictions don't do this. Put the money over there for them to pay back the city of Winnipeg. Is that clear? So if we're giving them 10, let's just use a small figure. So if I'm giving them $20 a year to run the police service, I shouldn't be asking them for $10 a year back for rent that's not, that's not how you want the accommodation but we, we do that so that we can have an accommodations department and employ more people when the police could take care of their own accommodations this is this is all about creating and and uh, developing revenue for different departments fleet is another good department we could cut fleet in half and save millions and millions of dollars at the city of Winnipeg and save departments money and we could allow that money to then be used on services It seems to me that our services have gone down, and we know that they have by quite a huge percentage during the time that Gillingham has been our finance chair. But property taxes have gone up almost 20%. Frontage fees have had two huge increases. The assessed value of properties have gone up almost every year, and in some cases a tremendous amount. Water, sewer have gone up. All of your rates are going up. All we're really talking about in this election is 1% or 2% or 3% uh, that people are going to use to build more roads that probably aren't going to get done within their term. I'm talking about it's time to look internal. It's time to do some cost control, and it's, fine to, it's time to find out whether we have a revenue problem or we have a spending problem. In all the years that I've been there doing the budget, and I've done multi 100000000 dollar, dollar budgets, We have never seen the detail necessary to make a decision to find out where every cent is being
2: spent. So, Kevin, we just have less than a minute here, but you're talking about finding efficiencies, trying to find ways to save money. But also there's a revenue. If there is a revenue problem, then we look lots heavily to property taxes to bring revenue into the city. It counts for over half of our operating budget, uh, what we bring in in property taxes. Are there ever revenue streams you're looking at that you think might work to help bring in more money to the city, not just find those savings? Well, I'm seeing the
7: revenue streams that are being uh, talked about for parking lots and such, and I don't see that as valuable. and I don't see how that's going to help the city move along. But I've already introduced fees for vacant properties and derelict buildings. If we were to apply fees of five thousand the first year, ten the second, and so on and so on, where it's being developed, we'll either we will collect some revenue from those folks, but we'll also be able to see those properties start to. Um, be rebuilt that's going to start adding to our to our tax base our property tax base we're going to start seeing more businesses as we deal with crime we're hopefully going to see more businesses come back downtown because the insurance is what's killing a lot of businesses. To buy a business downtown or to open one, the insurance cost is astronomical. But if we work on crime and we fix our homeless population, then we're going to start seeing more and more businesses come down to or open up anywhere in the city, and we'll start to see more prosper, and we'll have a more sustainable budget. Our budget right now is not sustainable. Although your tax will go up 2.3% or under Scott Gillingham's 75 the assessed value of your house is still going to go up to get the mill rate. This is what they're not telling you. And we're still going to pay debt on all of the money that they've already borrowed. And in Scott's plan, you're going to borrow another $500 million. So you're going to have to pay uh, debt on that. You're going to pay the interest and the, and the fees on that. So we really, really have to finally look inside and see where every dollar is being spent and how and determine if it is it a spending problem or a revenue problem. And until we do that, I don't think it's fair. And it's certainly not the right time to be hammering citizens in Winnipeg with more and more tax and fees from every other part of the city we can. We need to get our spending under control, and I will do that.
0: Kevin Klein joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kevin, thank you for the time. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you.
1: Now we say hello to Sean Loney. Sean, good morning.
8: Good morning. Good morning.
1: Uh, Property taxes, why don't we start there? Will you freeze them or continue with some sort of annual hike as we've seen in the past uh, 10 years or so?
8: Well, our commitment is to uh, raise residential property taxes by 3.7%. We think it takes into account Winnipeggers' ability to pay and also Winnipeg's ability to pay. Um, The city is certainly going to be struggling on a few fronts, Inflation going up, energy prices and so on. But Winnipeggers are struggling with those same issues as well. And it appears as though the economy is slowing down. We put a lot of thought into it and we just felt that was uh, the sweet spot that could uh, help us get us where we need to go.
2: How did you land on that number, Sean, You know, 3.7%, what what would that bring in extra per year? And then where would that money go? Is that just to balance the budget and pay for what we're doing? Or is that a dedicated stream for more work for roads?
8: Yeah, well, we certainly didn't uh, turn the paddle and decide what it was. We looked at the five different Canadian cities where our young people are going. We're losing a lot of young people every year to other cities, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto, and Ottawa. And it's just slightly below what those other cities are doing. And we did want to put some more money into trees, which we've done, active transportation and, uh, and, and keep up. But I really want to say to your listeners, I don't think most of our problems are money problems. They're system problems. And we need to start thinking a, a lot uh, differently about how we address our issues. And on infrastructure, for example, um, Councillor Gillingham wants to spend over a billion dollars extending one regional road and expanding another. Well, that's why he needs over 7% tax hike. And I just think we should be fixing the roads that we already have. Just just as one example, when you look at policing, we have these old narratives between more cops and less cops. And my approach is very different. We need to reduce the police workload by modernizing the relationships between Police and nonprofits, and get them working together in more innovative ways. So, by far, our campaign is the most frugal, and uh, I, I'm pretty proud of that. A, a lot of people identify me as a fiscal conservative, and I'm I'm proud to take that label.
0: The business tax—you gonna hike it, keep it the same, lower it?
8: Yeah, we're just gonna leave it. It's 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 raising it or lowering it, it isn't really the issue. What we do want to do with permitting is reward businesses that are helping the city solve some of our problems. So, for example, if you're building a a house, a net zero house, if you're uh, you're a a mall owner, and in one of the areas of the city where the storm water overwhelms the sewage systems, we end up dumping raw sewage into the rivers, we we want to reward businesses that. You know put in permeated pavement or or rain gardens to keep the water out from going into the storm water system um these i think we can be much more innovative but uh, i just think that um lo- we've had this narrative for 30 years in the city or maybe even more that Raising taxes or lowering taxes is what's going to get us out of the mess that we're in. And on every issue we're struggling with, I really don't see more or less money sort of being the problem. We've got these system problems. And I'll give you an example. We sent out the the city police last year. The public did 240,000 times. So I just don't see... That's an issue that's going to be resolved by more or less police officers, more or less helicopters, or who's on the police board or who the police chief is. Let's work with the people who are in constant contact with police. And uh, what we'll see, and I know this because I work on the front lines, hiring gang members. We'll see a significant reduction in the police workload and only awesome things are going to come from that. The police will be freed up more quickly to respond to crime and we'll have money we need for things like libraries, uh, pools and parks, and that's the kind of city that I want to live in.
1: Sean, uh, we just had Kevin Klein on in the last hour. He, he insists that we don't have a revenue problem, we have a spending problem. On the other hand, Glenn Murray says that he's going to go hat in hand to the province and ask him for 1% of the PST. Those are obviously fairly divergent philosophies in, in terms of where the, where the issue is. One says revenue, one says spending. Where do you lie on that?
8: Well, I actually agree with Councillor Klein, that we, we we need to look at what we're spending. Uh, I think, though, we completely disagree on on how to go about doing that. I mean, he he really wants more police officers, and somehow has come to the conclusion that doubling down on that is going to solve our crime problem. Um, and as you know, I, I've been working in the inner city, starting these social enterprises, and, and I see it every day. And how exciting this is for Winnipeg that people come in that have been in constant contact with police. They get a job and they start moving in a good direction. I've also announced things like um, we we can see 30,000 heat pumps in Winnipeg by 2030, and it's not going to cost taxpayers. We need innovative business models. So these are things that uh, City Hall does not understand. And um, I... I'm excited about sitting in the mayor's chair and reorienting government towards solving problems rather than managing them and chasing after them. Uh, and we just have so much potential in Winnipeg, but keep doing things the way we're doing it and we're going to be where we are.
2: So there's two different budgets here, right, with the city of Winnipeg, Sean. So you have what we, what we use to operate the city, you know, our garbage yeah. collection, our police, our firefighters, all, all the rest. And then you have the bigger Expenditures And those are billion-dollar projects. Whether you agree with widening Keniston or not, whether it's the Arlington Bridge or not, whether it's an underpass or not, money does need to be spent in the billions. So what's the, the the idea to generate more revenue that would help with that? Because sure, we can tighten the belt on the operating side, but at the end of the day, we have big projects that need to get underway. Transit, you know, where does, where does the dollars for all those things come from?
8: Yeah, well, let's look at transit. And we've been talking a lot about that lately. Uh, The two cities that we compete with, Edmonton and Calgary, uh, both uh, got commitments from the government of Canada for five times more per capita in transit funding than the city of Winnipeg has. Why? Because we're going to them like it was 50 years ago and asking them for money for roads. And as far as Keniston goes, the feds have rejected Councillor Gillingham's plan not once, but twice. And so the expectation that the feds are going to come through with more money for uh, old expanding roads is just not going to happen. We need to lean into a modern Winnipeg and see an awesome transit system that people want to get on. They prefer to be on it rather than be driving in a car. And that's how we get the type of city that, that we really want. But uh, wow, a billion dollars on extending one regional road and expanding another? Uh, I'd far rather put that into um, looking at, for example, addressing bottlenecks on Keniston, expanding the, the intersections to, to make sure that they're flowing more freely, better synchronization, and uh, really lifting the property values along Keniston as well. Those are the solutions that other levels of government are interested in funding, not what Councillor Gillingham's peddling.
0: Sean Loney joining us live on 680 CJOB. Sean, thank you very much for this. We appreciate the time.
8: Yeah, thanks. And uh, two more days to go. It's it's moving along quickly. Thanks for your time.
0: Bomber tickets. We're asking you about creative ways that maybe you've gamed the system because Netflix is getting ready to clamp down on password sharing, and uh, maybe you've been doing that as a way to manipulate the system to your advantage. Look, we're not trying to celebrate stealing here. But it's not
2: manipulating. I'm not. I'm not. I don't like this labeling of me right now.
0: I'm not not specifically (laughs) talking about. But in the general converse, (laughs) we're not asking you. Hey, tell us what you managed to steal. Stop it. <laughs> but uh,
1: what does Anita? Oh, Anita uh, has something on the bombers. Yeah, this is a good one. How I got around the system, I wanted to go to bomber games but not pay. <laughs> well, who doesn't? So I work there. I get off by the end of the third quarter, and everybody knows it's the fourth quarter that everything happens. Oh, and I don't want the tickets for Friday because I'm working. I just wanted <laughs> to share my story. So, yeah, Anita doesn't want them, nor does she need them. Hmm. I think that's that's pretty smart. And back in the day at the old Winnipeg Stadium, you could actually get in like about uh, yes. after the third quarter. Yeah. If you went, all the ushers were gone, and you could go and you could catch the last 10 minutes of the game. Oh. I, I did that once or twice.
2: I, I one time, and this is, I feel terrible. I'm just going to admit this, and I'm sure others have done this. It was years ago, university. You don't have a lot of cash. We saved up to go to a movie. And then snuck into another movie after we finished the first <gasps> movie. And it felt like the whole time, we are just like, you, I was like waiting for a spotlight to come on me, like, da, 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 you in the sixth row with the red hair, get out. Like, I was, I couldn't enjoy any of it. It was like, this is wrong. What are you doing? But it, I, can't, I was with a group of friends and someone said, let's just, what's the big deal? And then as you're in there, you're like, the big deal is, this is, you know, it's wrong. And now I can't enjoy it anyway. So. <laughs> Like I'm the person that if I, you know, you sometimes put something in your cart. I remember when I had kids and you put the the baby seat in the grocery cart and then you pile in all your groceries and then you go to pay for things and I'd get to the car and I'd find something stuck under the car seat and I'd be like, "Ugh!" and I'd go all the way back inside with the baby to be like, sorry, I accidentally walked out with this because it felt so wrong to take like the $2 piece of ginger root. And uh, yeah, it's too—it's too much pressure. Too much. It's just too much. I can't do it. <laughs> the ginger root
1: police are coming yes! for you.
2: It's all—all goes all all back to ginger. Red hair, ginger root. You just can't do it.
0: We know? are going to pick a winner at nine fifteen. Last chance to get in for those bomber tickets. <laughs> Today is World Polio Day, and for decades, our next guest has worked alongside others to try to make the world polio-free.
2: His name is Wesley Hazlitt, and he contracted polio when he was just a baby, just 13 months old back in 1953. And of course, back then, that was just two years before a polio vaccine was licensed. And so as a result of contracting polio, Wesley has learned to walk with one leg brace and without crushes. And now he uses a power wheelchair and other aids to get into his home and manage other daily functions. And we're pleased to bring on Wesley, who so often joins us to enlighten us and bring more awareness to this topic. How's, how's it going, Wes?
9: hey i'm doing pretty good how are you guys today
2: always great to hear from you and, and i'm curious you know as we talk about polio and there, there's really i think just two countries in the world that are still fighting this at like afghanistan and pakistan but there's concerns worldwide about re-emergence of, of diseases like polio what do you think the general understanding is from manitobans when it comes to polio and what it's done and, and what it could still do in this world
9: well i'm not sure what People understand, but they haven't seen it around, so they don't know. I mean, uh, last time I spoke on your radio show in the studio, I spoke about polio, and nobody really knew what polio was. And then COVID started, and you started to hear about polio, and uh, it was a vaccine that actually worked. Polio only affects humans, and the vaccine works in removing polio, sadly, People that uh, couldn't get to the doctor during COVID and listen to other people that have misinformation about vaccines haven't got their children vaccinated. And I've always said polio is only a plane ride away. And besides Afghanistan and Pakistan, Lauren, the um, polio is also evident, obviously, in New York. One person in his 20s got uh, paralyzed. Other people will have polio, which treats them kind of like a flu uh, flu virus. So they get fever, headache, vomiting, stiffness, muscle weakness, that kind of thing. And then maybe it passes. But some people die from getting polio and a large number of people get infected. So, of course, my interest is making sure that if you're a parent or a young person that you go out and you get your kids vaccinated.
1: Wes, it it feels so bizarre to me. My dad was a member of Rotary for a long time, and Rotary has worked so hard to make sure that the the rest of the planet uh, gets vaccinated for polio. So here we are with with a cure to something that was devastating for so long, and yet some people are second-guessing whether or not to, to take this vaccine. What what, do you, what would you say to somebody who, who's pondering this? And, and give us some insight into how it's impacted your life.
9: My life has been um, kind of devastating. I mean, since I, last time I went to your studio, I could walk on crutches, do stairs, walk around, that kind of thing. My, my life had decreased since in uh, my late 20s, I started to get the late effects of polio, was diagnosed with post-polio syndrome, which I, I had no idea about. So instead of, you know, as a youngster, young adult, wife and I raised two children, and I took them tobogganing and pulled them up and down the hills and that kind of thing. But as post-polio advanced, it meant that, you know, I'd fall down a lot, have to start walking outside with my crutches, then it became inside. And 20 years ago, I used a power wheelchair at work, and then fatigue got me and other things, so I had to quit work, and I thought I'd work from home, but it's just got worse in the last year. It's ridiculous where I used to be able to arm wrestle guys like you and bigger guys like maybe Brett and beat them, Um, now I have trouble lifting a coffee pot or a teapot. It kind of sucks. And this is happening to a lot of people 20 to 50 years after their original infection. Mm. Many of them have forgotten about it. And they recovered 100%, and now they're having breathing and fatigue and muscle weakness. Don't know what it's about. So that's why I'm talking about it today, to get people vaccinated, to avoid this, And also for people that have the late effects of polio to understand it, because if they go to the doctor, most doctors know nothing about polio, including mine. I should probably point out
0: that even though I maybe am a couple inches taller than Mackling, I'm pretty sure he would take me down in an arm wrestling match. Uh, I just wanted to... <laughs> 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 but I appreciate the endorsement, Wes. Very much appreciate it. And we appreciate you joining us to talk about World Polio Day and sharing your honest experience. It's very, it's very valuable to, to hear this. So thank you very much.
9: I'd just like to uh, advise people to go to npolio.org slash donate your gift can improve the lives of 20 million people who have otherwise been paralyzed by polio and a 1.5 million that would have died your gift will make history polio eradication is one of our greatest public health achievements and following smallpox it'll become the second human disease to be eradicated so please help out
0: wes haslett joining us live on this world polio day talking about how Netflix is going to clamp down on password sharing they're going to start charging for that so with that kind of inspired a chat about have you ever manipulated the system beaten the system inadvertently cheated the system and a couple of runners up here like Shane who say we were talking about parking and walking like Cam says he'll park far away and doesn't mind walking to avoid spending the money and Shane says parking and walking is not gaming the system it's following the system I don't like paying for parking either, so I will walk further to not pay. Uh, but I you know, made my choice to do that. So I said, okay, that's fair, but here's a parking one that does count. When they had the amnesty on street parking, you might remember during the pandemic where they bumped the start time to, from 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. to 9 a.m. So sometimes I would park on the street, so I would pay for the one hour from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., and then I would go out and move my car and get another hour for free. So I got, did you
2: set your alarm to do that? Like, yeah. how did you remember? Yeah, there's no way. I'd say I would lose so much money on that one because I'd forget if I didn't have like someone escorting me downstairs.
0: Yeah, there were a couple of times. There was one day early where I had to run down the street because the app wasn't working. Oh, my. So I had to go run and actually buy a ticket because I saw the, the parking guys lurking out there.
1: So <laughs> the The invention of the past couple of years for me is the timer on my phone. Hey, yeah. Siri, set me a timer for seven minutes. Set me a timer for eight minutes. Hey, Siri, remind me to do this. Remind me to do that. I need a butler.
5: <laughs> not Siri. <laughs> Siri's not all
1: that effective.
2: Making
0: sure
1: I do all the things I need to do.
0: Reese also found a way, Loren, to save some cash on parking.
2: Yeah, when the Jets play, Reese says, I park at a business that my friend works at. I leave his business card on the dash of my vehicle. I've been going to Jets games since 2011 and never paid for parking. I've saved thousands that's great. I'm gonna get that business card.
0: Siri, by the way, just started talking to Greg. Oh, of yeah, I just got, got an
1: eight-minute timer on my phone from Siri.
2: Now. <laughs> um, well, that's perfect. Eight minutes is when the news starts. That's so,
1: right. there we go. but uh, our winner, Mackling, is Dean. Back in the mid-1980s, my dad went to Florida for a month and bought American Express Traveler's checks. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Yeah, purchased them in Canadian funds. But once in Florida, my dad realized the checks were in U.S. funds. Once back home, we discovered uh, our answering machine was Full of messages, you guessed it, from our credit union wanting my dad to come in and straighten the matter out. The exchange rate at the time was about 68 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. My dad, being known as a coupon king, managed to meet the credit union halfway and ended up agreeing to pay approximately an $0.85 cent exchange. In all fairness, he normally would have said sorry about your luck, but he was happy to have scored that great exchange rate on
0: 2000 bucks. Nice, Dean. Congratulations. You win the tickets for the Bomber game. We've got tickets to give away all week long on the start. Well, up until up through Thursday, because the game is on Friday. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, speaking of winter, our guest has a rather interesting tale for you in just a moment. But, Loren, what's this business about as it pertains to the wet weather we've seen all year?
2: Well, we know it's been a wet one. And Scott Kaler, who's the president and chief scientist at WeatherLogix, he's a meteorologist. He just tweeted within the last half hour that the overnight thunderstorms from the Colorado Low have pushed Winnipeg over the top. He says 2022 is now the wettest year on record with two and a half months of the year still to go. And so here's the numbers. To date this year, we've had 736.3 millimeters of precipitation. That beats out the 1962 record when there was 723 millimeters. And again, two and a half months to go. This is officially Winnipeg's wettest year on record.
1: Which what's, What's incredible is I noticed the other day that the rivers look glow again. Yeah. Yeah. The Cinnaboyne is super low. And it's been obviously the wettest in 10 months ever, and the rivers are low. I mean, that's obviously a good thing as we look ahead to spring, uh, but uh, the two just don't seem to compute. That doesn't add up. No. It's like dry
2: skin. You put your lotion on, and you still don't feel it. Just soaked it right in because you were so dry, and the earth has had years of drought on the prairies, and it's just been lotioned. (laughs) <laughs> i love that's the analogy why, that's, that's so non-scientific if anyone just heard that and is, is about to repeat that to their child or a classroom please do not stick with the folks at weather what and whatever comes out of my mouth science or weather wise do not listen <laughs> Did
1: somebody just say that they poured gazillion gallons of Noxema into the aciniboine <laughs> exactly. river
2: exactly it's like a like a ceraVe moment you know you're like lubridermining it up
1: also, we wanted to
0: mention this, uh, Greg, as it pertains to Canada's competition watchdog.
1: Yeah, they say they're launching a study of the grocery industry to examine whether the highly concentrated sector is contributing to rising food costs. The Competition Bureau says in a news release today that it will explore how the government could act to combat grocery price increases. In September, grocery prices rose to the fastest pace since 1981 with prices up 11.4% compared with a year ago. The Competition Bureau will provide a set of recommendations for the government in its final report, which it plans to publish in June Earlier this month, the House of Commons Agricultural Committee voted to investigate food prices. The House of Commons also voted unanimously in favor of an NDP motion calling for the government to tackle, quote, corporate greed in the grocery sector. We'll have more on that through the
0: day, no doubt, on 680 CJOB and at CJOB.com. Now I ask the question, have you ever wondered just what would it be like to live way up North, in a subarctic community, in a place where you might see a polar bear as part of your regular travels. Manitoba man recently wrote a book called Tales from a Snowbank, which he describes as being about, quote, a time and people who lived in an extraordinary place that now only lives in memory. I lived in that unique time. He wanted to share his experiences on the page, and he's here to share some of those experiences with us and with you.
1: The author, John Horner, joins us now on The Start. John, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? We're doing very well. We're we're really excited to hear your story here. So you grew up in Churchill in the uh, 1950s. So we like to think we're tough here for our winters. What was it like growing up there?
10: Uh, how was it like growing up there? Well, it, I, it, I I imagine today would be a little bit different. Um, I, I, just a, as a, as a side, I was just listening to what you were talking about with the rivers and whatnot, and. Um, uh, you know, and, and doing strange things. You know, rivers being low. we've had so much rain. And, of course, today we're, we're going through a, a period in history that is called global warming. And I imagine that the Churchill of uh, today, of 2020, is a bit different than the Churchill of 1955 because of that fact. The, um, uh, the, 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 the ice-free period today has increased tremendously. Compared to that point in time in history, so that's one of the things I'm quite concerned about. But anyway, enough of my rambles. Um, Yeah, uh, living in Churchill at that time was quite a different experience. Um, I'm an immigrant. Um, We um, came to Canada in the mid '50s from from England, and um, we very quickly ended up in Churchill. And my poor mother—I don't know how she managed to survive because she went from a, you know, a a, a fairly, you know. uh, well-stocked house in England um, to a place in Churchill where the only source of heat we had was a, an old cast iron stove that used um, uh, as a fuel, um, used uh, fuel oil and uh, it, it was a wondrous thing to see when my dad lit it because it had a great fan behind it and it blew this great flat f- flame into the in, into, into the stove, but um, my mother then was responsible for keeping the thing running. Um, it heated the house, it heated our water, and it did our cooking. So that was, and, and we had no running water. And that was another thing: no sewers, no drains. Um, The streets uh, had had no drainage systems. Um, It was quite a different place. And as I said, for a girl, I have great respect for my mother, for a girl coming from Hampshire in England to northern Canada and then surviving and then moving to the Northwest Territories is quite a a, a tribute to her. Anyway.
2: Those are um, memories, uh, John, of... of, um you know, just sort of the basics that you had to do, just what life was like on a day to day. As a child, I'm curious how aware you were of, of your surroundings and maybe the remoteness or the vastness again from where you came from to where you land, landed. What stood out in some of those, in that respect in terms of the landscape or even just being outside. And I mean, all kids love playing in the snow.
10: Right. Well, first of all, very few trees. And trees that we had were only about, at the most, 10 feet high and only had branches on one side because um, the prevailing winds in the Hudson's Bay were always very cold. And as they blew inland, any, any branch that attempted to, to, to grow... On that tree simply didn 't have a chance, so you had a, a rather peculiar tree with branches on one side, which meant that you had some fairly peculiar Christmas trees too <laughs> you know? so yeah um, and there was, there was no uh, the vegetation was quite different, it was tundra um, and and in the in the summer it it would turn kind of swampy, and if you walk close to it um, or uh, on it uh, you you would have hordes of mosquitoes coming up from the tundra i don 't know how they survived the winter, um, but uh, there was always hordes of mosquitoes um, and uh, you know um, one of the things that the the, that the municipality did up there was try to control the, the the mosquito population in the summer, so they had had trucks that went around and blew this foul smelling diesel solution, um, and, and and all the kids in town would show up because the radio station would say they're going to start, you know, um, using this or uh, spraying this stuff at a certain time and at a certain place. So all the kids would show, show up there. The vehicle would have this great white cloud coming up behind it, and the kids were jumping in and out like Charlie, um, uh, like peanuts, you know, and, and it was an amazing <laughs> time. So anyway, there you go. Oh, one other thing. Um, uh, for me anyway was the fact that we lived uh, well, we, we, we lived beside a church um, uh, and, and on, on the other side of the house was the pool hall and um, and bowling alley and I spent uh, as much time as I could despite my father's uh, um, you know, telling me not to go there. He never got home till about six in the evening. So when I got off the school bus at four thirty, off we would go to the pool hall where I learned to not play pool. I was not a very good pool player, um, but I, I did I did learn to um, set pins, and and I was paid for for a game um, twenty five cents. That was the pay at the time, <laughs> and I thought I was doing very well, plus a free coke. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you are.
0: And I see one of, the, one of your chapters is entitled The Pernicious Pool Hall Saga, yes. 1959. So if you yes. want to learn that story, you'll have to read the book.
10: Yes. But I'm curious to
0: know, So you, you're, you live in England, right. and then you, your parents move to Canada, and right. they end up way in northern Manitoba. Like,
10: why? Why? For you have to make a living. Uh, My dad was a plumber by trade. He'd served in the British Army during the Second World War, and and when he was demobilized, he got, you know, he he, he sort of, the British economy didn't grow after the war. Rationing still existed until 1953, 54. Times were not good. Um, and so he made the decision. That he was a journeyman plumber. He made the decision to come to Canada. I don't know why he chose Winnipeg. The family lore says he took a pin out and sort of stuck it in a map and stuck it in close to the city of Winnipeg on the map, and and off we went. Um, he had to get his journeyman papers here, and he, he did that in about a year. Um, and then because of his military background, um, you know, as I said, he was with the Royal Artillery during the Second World War. The Royal Canadian Engineers took him on as a plumber, and um, we moved north to Churchill. And that's how we, we became church lights.
1: Well, we have to let you run here, John. But I do want to ask you, when is the last time you've
10: been to Churchill? When did you did you leave and have you been back? Uh, well, I've been back once. The, yeah, and, and that was 1970, I believe. Yeah, and I was just married at that time. And I decided I wanted to show my wife where I was from. Um, and so we... Um, we went up to Churchill um, at Christmas time, actually just after Christmas. We we didn't have any money. We were just married, so we took all our Christmas presents back, got that cash back on them, um, managed to scrounge enough money together to get tickets to fly Transair to Churchill. And that was the last time I was there, 1970. I haven't been back um I would love to go back. I still know a couple of people that live up there, um, and uh, it would be a tremendous experience for me. I think that one of these days I will do that. It is prohibitively expensive. That's one of the problems, and, um, you know, we'll just, we'll just see. Um, I would love to go back, though. Well,
0: well, John, we've just scratched the surface here to learn your story, to learn the rest of your story. You've got to read the book, Tales from a Snowbank. Thank you very much for joining us, John. This has been fun.
10: Thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: Bye-bye. You can get the book at McNally Robinson. You can get it at Chapters and Indigo stores, Prairie Sky Books, uh, Friesen Press, as well as Amazon. Again, that book, Tales from a Snowbank, written by John Horner.